I think it's very important for employers to bear in mind that they should be aware of errors in the text of the NCC, as such errors usually come for the risk of the employer. There was uh, one uh, striking example of this. It was ruled by a court that an employer could not rely on an NCC, which prohibited the employee from not competing with his former employer. In fact, the NCC obliged the employee to compete. Hello, listeners. This is Clint Littler Explains. Uh, my name is Jasper Hofstad. I'm an associate at the Clint Littler office based in Amsterdam. I'm your host for this podcast, of which the aim is to bring you, the listener, the basics of Dutch employment and labor law. Every episode I will discuss with one of my colleagues one of his or her favorite topics, whereby, of course, the aim is to press out every juicy detail. Joining me at the desk today is Eric van Dam. Eric is one of the founding partners of Clint Littler and is always focused on getting the deal done. Eric, you told me you wanted to enlighten our listeners on the ins and outs of non-compete clauses in employment agreements. I am all ears. Take it away. Thank you, Jasper. I'm really excited to be here uh, today on this podcast. One thing before we start is uh, we're talking about uh, non-competition clauses, which is a mouthful, so I will refer to them as uh, NCCs, which is also often done in, uh, in contracts. Today, I will explain how NCCs should be drafted. I will also explain what employers can do if an employee wants to start with a competitor. And in the end of the podcast, I will give concrete tips based on what courts see as important aspects in cases on NCCs. This can make or break your case. Uh, thank you, Eric. This uh, sounds very interesting to me. Um, I'm all up for this mini college on, uh, on NCCs. Thank you. Yeah, I would like to start by putting to bed one of the biggest myths around NCCs. Because contrary to what is the case in many other countries, NCCs are valid and enforceable in the Netherlands. And it's important to bear in mind the difference between NCCs in fixed-term contracts and indefinite-term contracts. Because the starting point is that NCCs in fixed-term contracts are not permitted. There is one, albeit very strict, exception, which I will also explain in this podcast. All right. Um, I'm already looking forward to being informed about the exception for an NCC to be enforceable uh, in a fixed-term contract. But first, let's start at the beginning. What are the basic rules for NCCs in employment contracts uh, and how are they made enforceable? A NCC should be entered into in writing and with an employee of age, which means an employee of at least 18 years old. And uh, an NCC can also be included in a personnel handbook that forms part of the employment contract. But I would advise employers to always include the NCC in the employment contract itself. And if you then uh, email a uh, copy of the signed contract to the employee with a copy to the personnel file, you can always prove as an employer that the employee has agreed with the NCC. A NCC typically has three scopes the material scope, the geographical scope, and the temporal scope. And beginning with the material scope, this means which kind of activities are prohibited by the NCC, such as, for instance, acting as a sales manager for a software company. The geographical scope determines within which geographical region the activities are prohibited. This can be as small as a radius of 10 kilometers from the employer's headquarters, but it can also be the territory of the Netherlands or even uh, a global prohibition. And certainly in case that it's easy to compete with the employer out of another country, which is often the case in online businesses, 
employers should think wisely about the geographical scope. They could, for instance, agree that certain activities are not only prohibited in to be carried out in the Netherlands, but also in case that these activities affect the Dutch market. The last scope, the temporal scope, there is no mandatory maximum period for the temporal scope, but the common opinion in literature and case law is that a period of longer than one year after the end of the employment is only acceptable in very exceptional cases. To summarize then, we are talking about three scopes, the material scope, the geographical scope and the temporal scope, which to me seem like they are communicating vessels because they really need to be tailored to the employee's position in order to be enforceable. But what essentially comes to mind now as well is is the business relations clause. Um, Can you maybe elaborate a little about the difference between the NCC and the business relations clause? A NCC prohibits the employee from carrying out certain kind of activities after the end of employment with the employer, while a business relationship clause does not prohibit these activities as such, but only if these activities are linked to a business relation of the employer. And you can think of customers, suppliers, and or prospects. And the NCC has its own regulations in the Dutch Civil Code. This is not the case for business relationship clauses. However, both in uh, jurisprudence and literature, it's uh, accepted that uh, the regulations for the NCCs also apply to business relationship clauses. And therefore, in this uh, podcast, uh, what I say about NCCs is also relevant for uh, business relationship clauses. So uh, with the differences between the non-compete clause and the the business relations clause cleared out now, um, I was thinking about um, these three scopes that we talked about earlier, uh, the material scope and the geographical scope and the temporal scope. How do these relate to the enforceability of the NCC? Yeah, good question. Um, With regard to the enforceability of NCCs, it's important to bear in mind that a NCC is a restriction for the employee to carry out activities after the employment with the employer has ended. And this might result in the employee having a difficult time in finding alternative employment and hence income. And this also plays a role when a court has to decide whether or not the employee should remain bound to the NCC. I will, uh, at the end of this podcast, I will include that in my uh, concrete tips. But in any event, I advise employers to assess carefully while drafting an NCC how broad the NCC should really be in order for the employer to effectively protect its business. If the overall scope of the NCC is too broad, this might easily lead to the NCC not being enforceable at all. While On the other hand, if the scope of the NCC is too narrow, it often lacks the required level of effectiveness or does not give the employer enough leeway for the future, for instance, if the employer's business expands. Furthermore, I think it's very important for employers to bear in mind that they should be aware of errors in the text of the NCC, as such errors usually come for the risk of the employer. There was uh, one uh, striking example of this. It was ruled by a court that an employer could not rely on an NCC which prohibited the employee from not competing with his former employer. In fact, the NCC obliged the employee to compete. And although it was crystal clear to all parties that this was an obvious error in the text of the NCC and that the intention was to prohibit the employee from competing, the court penalized this drafting error. It's therefore important to formulate precisely and to ensure that there are no errors in the text of the NCC. Clear. And this 
uh, really um, also strikes at the core of what, what we lawyers do, of course. We have to formulate clauses and employment agreements and other commercial contracts very precisely. And that circles back to what you said earlier in the podcast, because there is an exception which makes it possible to include a NCC in a fixed-term contract as well. So I'm guessing that this also relates to properly and precisely um, drafting the NCC. Certainly, certainly, yeah. The exception, the one exception, is that the uh, NCC may be included in a fixed-term contract if uh, the following conditions are met. The employer needs to have compelling business or service interests that justify the NCC, and these interests must be evident from a written motivation in the NCC itself. If that uh, has not been done, then the NCC is null and void by operation of law. But in addition to this, the compelling business or service interests must not only be present at the time of entering into the NCC, but also at the time that the employer wants to invoke the NCC against the employee. This is a very severe test and case law shows that NCCs in fixed term contracts seldomly hold up because courts often consider that if it was crucial for the employer to bind the employee to NCC, he should have entered into an indefinite term contract. Having said that, some employers nevertheless include an NCC in their fixed-term contracts because employees are not always aware of these requirements and as such the NCC might still have a deterrent effect. Are there, are there, are there any possibilities to, uh, to also achieve a more deterring effect to the NCC? Is there, for example, a possibility of including a penalty clause? Yes, yes, there is. And I would always advise to do so because otherwise the uh, NCC easily becomes uh, a paper tiger. But also, if you draft the penalty clause, you should also bear in mind the employee's position. So it wouldn't make sense to do a 25,000 euros per breach penalty in uh, in the contract or in the NCC in case that the employee only makes 2,500 euros uh, gross per month uh, uh, because that would be seen as unreasonable and the court can always mitigate this penalty. Uh, but it also shows how the employer was in the rest of the contract and the employment relationship most probably. Uh, so if you are uh, not reasonable, that can uh, ha- have a boomerang effect. So uh, I, I would always advise to uh, to tailor the penalty clause as yeah. well. So it is really uh, a case of reasonability and also taking into account uh, the employee's uh, personal circumstances. In that regard, do employers then also have to pay a compensation to the employee uh, when he binds the employee to the NCC? No, in, in the Netherlands not. There are many other countries in, in Europe where uh, they do have to pay compensation, but such compensation is to uh, be deemed to be included in the employee's salary. Uh, there's one thing that uh, employers need to be aware of, though, is that uh, um, the court can always determine that the employer must pay a compensation to the employee for the duration of the restriction uh, if the employee suffers serious disadvantages uh, of the NCC and uh, the court will then determine the amount of the compensation in all fairness in view of circumstances of the case and for for instance you could consider the situation where an NCC forces the employee to settle for a job with uh, which is less well paid. Well we then discussed the start of the employment agreement and employees bound by an NCC um, and maybe now the employee thinks well you know I'm really done with uh, with this company. There are better better possibilities for me at, at a competitor. Then, if the employee, although he is bound by the NCC, if he jumps ship, what what then happens in essence in in reality? How does the NCC play out? 
Yeah, good good question. And uh, actually, that's that's about uh, the core of what we're uh, discussing today. Huh? How can you enforce the uh, the NCC? There are various things that the employer can do. Uh, he can start summary proceedings in which uh, he requests the court to uh, to rule that the employee remains bound to the NCC and therefore prohibited to uh, work for the competitor. Uh, and you can always uh, ask the court to also uh, rule that a periodic penalty payment uh, applies and uh, also an advance payment uh, of forfeited penalties relating to the breach of the NCC. Instead of summary proceedings, you can always uh, start proceedings on the merit as well. And these obviously take more time uh, than summary proceedings, but the employee still runs the risk that the court will rule that uh, the employee has breached the NCC. And in that case, the employee could be liable for damages of the former employer and potentially also uh, has to pay the forfeited penalties related to the breach of the NCC. So uh, that, that also has a deterrent effect. And also what is a good uh, strategic move is to involve the new employer uh, because the uh, Dutch Supreme Court has ruled that taking advantage of someone else's breach of contract may also be unlawful to a third party whose right is uh, thereby frustrated. And uh, as from the moment that the new employer is aware of the fact that his future employee is bound to an NCC with his former employer, he could be held liable for damages caused by the employee breaching the NCC. So send out a uh, warrant notice to the new employer uh, and uh, say that you will hold him uh, liable. And while case law shows that this requires special circumstances, sending such a warrant notice can be a strategic move to drive a wedge between the employee and his new employer because this new employer might not be prepared to buy himself into potential litigation with a competitor. In any event, in this aspect, it's important to take swift action, not to wait too long, because then the harm is already done. The employee has already uh, spilled the company secrets, and for courts, it's uh, it's quite a thing to do to rule that an employee who has already started uh, his activities with a new employer uh, that he should stop and uh, consequently ha- end up with no uh, no job. So uh, don't sit on your hands, but uh, act swiftly. So it seems now that there, there, there are also numerous possibilities to invoke the NCC and uh, and get your damages paid. Well, but then circling back to your intro real quick, because you promised to give the listener some concrete tips on how courts assess NCCs. Can you elaborate on that? Yes, of course I will. Um, in the first place, the court will assess whether or not the NCC is valid in writing and with an employee of age. Then a second thing is uh, that the court will assess whether or not there is indeed competition between the uh, the new employer and the uh, old employer, the previous employer. Another important aspect to bear in mind is that a court, when um, assessing a NCC case, is often weighing balances between on the one hand, the interest of the former employer to bind the employee to the NCC, and on the other hand, the interest of the employee to be able to start new employment with the uh, competing employer. And uh, in this weighing of balances, uh, all circumstances can be taken into account. And I think for employers, it's important to uh, realize this when uh, invoking an, an NCC, because you can really build a case. Courts will say, will will assess whether or not the NCC is reasonable in view of the scopes that we uh, we discussed. But we'll also see whether or not the employee can significantly improve his career prospect by moving to the new employer. 
And this relates to, to salary, obviously, but also to the potential uh, future salary growth, but also uh, the position that he can uh, take on with the new uh, employer, uh, potential promotion opportunities, uh, training courses that are going to be offers, uh, but also whether or not the employee will be able to gain managerial experience or uh, working internationally. Another important aspect is, uh, and actually in line therewith, is uh, whether or not the employee did also have uh, good career opportunities with his former employer or whether or not he was on a dead end huh, with no concrete prospects of a next career move. Another one that is very important to bear in mind is in how far has the employee knowledge of the employer's business critical information? Eh? So is there a real business interest of the uh, employer to bind the employee to the NCC? Another aspect that is uh, really important is whether or not the employee ha has one-sided work experience. If he is a one-trick pony, has throughout his career only did one trick, ha, one kind of job, then the NCC will uh, make it more difficult for him to, uh, to find alternative employment. Uh, whereas if somebody is, for instance, a sales manager for a software company, uh, he could also start selling clothes or start, uh, selling cars. So you will be able, easy, to uh, find alternative employment. And last but not least, uh, the personal situation of the employee is very important. For instance, is the employee a single parent? Is he a breadwinner? Or uh, is that not, uh, not the case? So all these factors uh, need to be taken into account. And uh, as an employer, you can, when building the case, uh, you can really make or break your case taking these uh, yeah, aspects into account and, uh, and, and building the case. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Eric. That was uh, that was very insightful. It's, uh, it's uh, it is fully clear to me now that it is, uh, in essence, always a weighing of circumstances and all factors. So um, then, of course, as a small recap, a small sixty-second recap, in order uh, for the listener to really know what he has to take home from this conversation, what should he do to make the NCC enforceable? Yes, of course. In in the first place, it's important that the non-compete is valid. Apart from that, uh, always make a copy and send it to the uh, to the employee, so you can prove that the employee has uh, indeed agreed to the uh, to the NCC, and uh, make sure to tailor the NCC to the uh, to the employee in order to um, to prevent that it's too broad. Uh, so, uh, and that also relates to whether or not you can uh, enter into an indefinite term contract or a fixed term contract. And last but not least, uh, bear in mind these uh, last uh, tips and tricks that uh, that we gave, because that is actually uh, the, the proof the pudding is in the eating. And those aspects are very important. So bear them in mind before you uh, take action towards the uh, the employee. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Eric. Very, very much appreciated. All duly noted also, of course. Um, well, to, to your listeners, this was it for today. I say thanks to you as well for your interest in Dutch employment and labor law. In the description of this podcast, I will include links to these various parts that we discussed. And I hope you will join us again for our next episode. If you wish, you can subscribe to Clint Littler Explains and we will be delighted to receive a review. And if you have any questions, don't hesitate to uh, reach out to us. We will always be happy to assist. <laughs>